you're going to go, are you going to stay at a hotel? And I'm like, no. He's like, where are you going to stay? I'm like, I want to stay in Dave's bunk bed. And he was kind of like, <laughs> really? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's why exactly. he got it. And he's like, oh. He's like, I thought he was joking about that. I'm like, no. <laughs> that's why he got a bunk bed. He would have just gotten a twin bed if he didn't yeah. have like people come over. And he's like, huh. He, that really throws him for a loop. Because he's imagining someday he's going to graduate out of a bunk bed and be a, an adult. He's imagining me, as an adult, having a bunk bed. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so, yeah. It's just like it just throws him. He's like, are you really going to stay on Dave's bunk bed? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny it, because um, when anybody ever like, comes huh. over, uh, and they can like my room is at the end of the hall, and if the door's open, that's what you see, and so it comes up a lot. Like somebody, people will come over and they'll look down the hall and they'll be like, "Uh, there's a bunk bed down there." <laughs> like, like uh, who's got a bunk bed? <laughs> like me. I got it. <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah. counterintuitive. You you don't you don't it picture yeah. the bunk bed. And when you see it, not only did you not picture it originally, but it looks wrong. It's like um there is a bunk bed there. I see it. <laughs> Which one of you guys has a bunk bed? But there is so much more room for activities. <laughs> I wouldn't have this. I wouldn't have this amazing so studio more. if I didn't. If I still had my king size bed, it was an easy trade. There you go. Does that sound fun? Yep. Why did you bring up this lake in Antarctica? So YouTube just like sends me stuff, right? Hey, you want to learn about Antarctica? And I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah. And uh, so there is this lake. So people don't realize this, but Antarctica is actually a continent. There's land down there. There's a whole continent that is Antarctica that if it ever moved to a warmer climate um, or if we let the global warming get out of hand, Mm -hmm. we could actually go down to Antarctica and have kind of a cool hangout place. A very cool hangout place. I mean, yeah. So, but isn't it covered in ice or is there, or is there grass? Well, the, there would be grass if there wasn't so much ice. Okay. Okay, so but uh, but there's also interesting land land features down there. Um, now, if you were asked, Dave, what is the largest lake, freshwater lake in the world? What would you say? I would say there's that one in Antarctica. <laughs> okay, you'd you'd still be wrong, but you oh, you had a you were. <laughs> 
you were going down the right path, but you're from Michigan, so you have five really good ideas. I would still say Lake Titicaca. Okay, uh, for the sake of because you like saying that. That's right. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, there was a time I believe that people thought, and it is in some categories, Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan is the biggest lake in the world for surface area. Surface even area. bigger so than Lake you, Superior. Lake. What did I say? Lake Michigan, but uh, Lake Superior yeah. is the big one. No. Lake Superior. Okay. No, I meant Lake Superior. Gotcha. Lake Superior is the biggest for surface area. Like if you were going to ride a boat on a freshwater lake, Lake Superior is the biggest lake in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. However, in uh, Siberia, there is a other, there's another lake and it is uh, Lake Baikal. Lake Baikal, the surface area is not super big, but this thing is extremely deep so for volume and depth lake baikal is by far the biggest lake in the world Hmm. what's interesting about this lake in antarctica is it's deeper than lake baikal wow now it's not bigger than lake baikal but it's deeper so and so first of all there's a lake on antarctica that's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. it's a super deep lake and lakes like this just don't occur. It They always happen where you have two parts of the, the crust that separate. All right? Okay. And, uh, and when that separates, it leaves this deep hole. And if that fills up with water, you get a lake like Lake Superior, Lake Baikal, and this, this lake in Antarctica. All three of them are what we call Rift Valley Lakes. Oh. So... But they're going down into this lake and taking measurements and and trying to see if like anything's living in there. And they found a small one uh, cell bacteria or a handful of one cell bacteria that live in this lake. And they have really unique DNA. And like you couldn't... You couldn't just take a fish that lives regular places on Earth and put them in this lake because they couldn't breathe. Uh, The air that is in the water is too high in oxygen. Oh, it's too much oxygen. Too much oxygen. Interesting. Our our air, what do you think our primary gas is in our air? Methane. Methane. Methane is uh, very low. It's like one of the... uh, Oh, helium. It's like like one or 2%. Nope. Helium is a very, very small. Nitrogen. Nitrogen is it. So about 80% of our air that we breathe is nitrogen, which is hilarious because there are tire companies like Bell Tire in Michigan. They actually sell that they're going to put nitrogen in your tires. And I get a kick out of that. It's because like, I can fill up my own tires with my own air compressor and get 80% nitrogen just regular. Hmm. But only about 20, only about 20, it's like, I think like 79% is nitrogen and then about 20% is oxygen in our air. 
but I think that in this lake, it was like 50-50 nitrogen to oxygen, which is interesting. It's interesting that it's such a high oxygen-rich environment down there. But these uh, these bacterias, they can, they have like the farthest DNA from anything else on Earth. It's like only about 75% of the DNA is similar to the other things on Earth. Um, and it's because it's been so uh, isolated that it's it's just gone a different direction with its DNA. So Wow. Well, the YouTube rabbit holes you go on are a lot more interesting than the ones I go on. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, but, I mean, that uh, was, that's pretty informative. Hey. I had no idea. <laughs> Antarctica with Mr. Liggett. The only thing is I, I'm not smart enough to contribute <laughs> very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Romans for today is Romans 12, 9 through 13. Continuing on in Romans 12, don't just to pretend, don't just pretend to love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always eager to practice hospitality. All right. Now, what's interesting about Romans is up to Romans chapter 12, Romans has sort of been dealing with issues, right? Like mm -hmm. we're took we're taking a look at how, you know, the Gentiles and the the uh, Jews and and how Christians are supposed to be and various things, but it's there's not a lot of rubber meets the road lessons for how you live. Mm -hmm. And Paul's been building this case up until you know the end of Romans 11. And so from 11 to 12, we could put a big word right between them. Therefore, okay. This is how you should live, mm -hmm. and uh, and it, you know we're coming off the tail the um, we're coming off of the verses where it's talking about that the Gentiles are grafted in, and the Romans were primarily Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is actually where Paul starts giving them instruction for way to, how to live, you know. Earlier in this uh, ch chapter, it's talking about living it, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And if you do that, you're going to know God's will and you're going to change. You're going to be thinking differently. And then uh, it's talking about, you know, you're part of a bigger body of Christ. So don't, don't overdo it. Don't think that you're so much better than everyone else. Um, and you all have spiritual gifts. You all have spiritual gifts and you need to use them properly. And so then it gets to this, where it really gets down to some real applicable things. 
these are some things that you can do and really hang your hat on it. And it's like, love. Don't just pretend to love. And we all know what he means by that. That's what's funny. When when I read this, I it's funny. It's like, don't just pretend to love others. Love others. Like, really love them. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think it's a funny way to start. I have you ever have you ever pretended to love someone, Dave? Um, many many times. Uh, <laughs> probably more than uh, I should, obviously, um, because really I think that for my weakness is I really really want to be liked. Okay. Um. If, if I know that someone doesn't like me, I, it will either just eat me alive or I will hate them in response. In a, that, hmm. That's my natural thing. And I do so many things uh, when it pertains to other people in an effort to make them like me. I'm always promoting myself, um, which is the wrong thing to be promoting. Cause it doesn't do anybody any good. It only just puts the focus on, on me. But you ask if I ever pretended to love someone. Yeah. Because that's how you get people to like you. You pretend like they're a fantastic person and you're just thrilled to be around them. They're going to like you. And, um, I'm pretty good at getting people to like me at least at first. Um, once they get to know me, then it sort of starts to fall apart, but <laughs> at least in the initial introduction, um, the thing that I found fascinating about this is when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Um, he's specifically talking about other Christians. And I remember uh, somebody talking about a vision that they had that was really quite really Christian focused. We need to have sort of church geared for Christians and that he wanted to do this sort of reoccurring kind of a, I don't know if it's like a promise keepers thing, but it was sort of like a potluck and it was your community, but it was exclusive to Christians. Hmm. And I re I was like, well, that's your thing. I don't want to help you with that because who wants to be exclusive and cut out the rest of the world? I'm so geared to this idea that, well, we want to have our doors open to anyone in hopes that they would become a Christian. Once you're a Christian, well, hey, you're on your own track. And so oftentimes, uh, Paul is specifically saying, this is how you should treat your other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's like, you guys need to, you guys are a club and you should see it that way. And you should see those other people who are in need that are also Christians and give that to them. It doesn't mean yeah. not to be generous to people who are not Christians, but he's not specifically saying that's what you need to do. And, uh, it's so counterintuitive to the way, cause church is so interested in getting more people. Um, and I rejected it, and it's because I rejected that idea so hard that it always smacks me in the face when I read something that I think of, well, a Christian should just be doing this to everybody because that's the nature of a Christian. 
It's like, no, hmm. if you read it, it's talking about how you are with other Christians. You should be supporting other Christians. And you should be telling somebody who's not a Christian, hey, you better get in the boat. And if they reject it, hmm. they reject it. But you're pouring into your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're not necessarily pouring your life into other people uh, just for the sake of because you're a Christian. I just find that very interesting and almost controversial in the way we kind of think. Yeah. Now, picture this. Picture you're living in China, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a lot of religious persecution in China. Yep. And so, um, so, and your father is a you know a pastor, and he's teaching unashamedly, uh, teaching the Bible, having house meetings, and he gets taken to jail because of it. Mm -hmm. Um. the community of believers should definitely be helping them out. You know, they should be ready to help them. Um, and I picture that's what the Roman church probably looked like at that time. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know that I'm reading this to be as exclusive. I mean, it, it does say it. It says, when God's people are in need, be, re be ready to help them. I don't think it necessarily is meaning to say that, all right, but when, you know, God's people that aren't God's people are in need, make sure you don't help them. I don't think it's oh, saying yeah. that. And I wasn't, I wasn't trying to suggest that. I was trying to say, that obviously, the, the way you would serve your own brother in your own family mm -hmm. because of that yep. close relationship is uh, different than you might treat somebody that you've just met at the store. Now, yeah. if you're trying to uh, work out a business deal with some other, you know, contractor, you're trying to work out some sort of an arrangement to maybe begin some sort of a relationship. Well, of course, you're going to treat them with the same deference that you might treat mm -hmm. your brother. But that is like an in intention for a goal. If he says, no, I don't want to do business with you. Well, then you're not going to naturally or even really be called to go and serve that guy all the time when he's said, no, we're not going to do business after all. Well, now you're not yeah. going to be like letting him borrow your truck and trying to figure you, you don't join. You don't join up with that guy because he's not in he's not working with you. But your brother's always there. And so yes. it's not like we I would say we don't do the generous things to somebody because they're not a Christian. I'm just fascinated mm -hmm. by how many times in the Bible we're instructed to go over and above and see those other Christians as part of the family and doing the same thing. And I find it opposite in my own rationale is they're not a Christian. They need to know the Lord. So I need to be yeah. super generous with that person who's rejected God and is not interested, but I got to keep <laughs> working on them. Meanwhile, yep. my Christian brothers, well, they're already Christians. So let them, ha let them handle their self. We're all in this life together. Sorry, buddy, if it's not working out for you. I don't feel that same tug and obligation to say, okay, who are my Christian brothers and sisters around me and how can I serve them? Because they are fighting an enemy as just like me. And if I've got resources, it should be, it should be theirs too. Yeah. 
And so it's just really That's kind of an interesting observation that I hadn't seen before. And um, it keeps on coming up that a lot yeah. of these are specifically to how we should treat each other, Christians. Yeah, that is interesting. And that would make the world feel a lot more like they want to be one, too. You'd think from a practical point, point of view, if Christians really all loved each other and we were extremely generous with each other, and then we say to somebody on the outside, yeah, come on in. Well, you can join the party. Yeah. You know, surrender your life, you know, start living for eternity like us. People would be like, okay. And they would want to get in on it or not. Yeah. But if, they would see the value. Yeah. They would see the value because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm in this with other people. It's a real thing. Yep. Um, I liked when it said rejoice in our hope and this is this has come up a couple of times in Romans and this is the hope that he's talking about in that you know early on in Roman Romans it was talking about how you know suffering leads to perseverance perseverance leads to I always forget the third one and then long it suffering leads to oh long suffering yep right. or patience. and then long suffering yeah, patience and then uh, hope of salvation, hope and salvation. Mm -hmm. And this is the hope that he's talking about, that we should rejoice in that hope that we have as believers. I really, I just like that. Um, and I think that I even mentioned this once, but I was having a meeting with a missionary, and he said, he said, we call it hope of salvation but really, outside of salvation, there is no hope. Outside of Christ, there is no hope. So really saying things like hope of salvation is sort of like redundant. Mm -hmm. It's You could just say hope. All it is is our hope. Our hope is in Christ, you know, saving us from our sins. And uh, man, I like that. It's just... Speaks to my soul, the idea of hope here. And he follows it up with be patient in trouble and yep. keep on praying. And so even when you're there and you're hoping in your salvation, uh, it's like, uh, but trouble's still coming. So when it comes, be patient, get through it and keep on praying because that's, that's really the key. Because what I found is that when I get into, well, he calls it trouble, but I call it heartache um, or stress or insecurity or anxiousness. Like, yeah. You're fired. You know, you feel worthless. Like you're when you're really getting beat up by, you know, nothing's working out and it's trouble. Yeah. If it's real there's a natural tendency to turn and say, well, God, what, what gives, you know, I've been doing everything right. And it's like, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. And so rather than to keep on praying, sometimes it's easy to say, okay, well, this isn't working. So what else can we try? And, uh, I think that, well, I can testify that's the wrong response. Um, and it says when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. 
and the reason is because look, that's the natural tendency for not just me, but that's the conclusion that a lot of people go through when they're really in trouble, when life has just thrown them cancer, death, you know, health, major injury, when like real trouble comes, it's mm -hmm. easy for somebody who's even a Christian to say, to start to start to lose confidence. And if yeah. you're really loving someone and you're, and you're, uh, with genuine affection and you're genuinely weeping when they weep and laughing when they laugh, then you recognize when they're in need, you need to, you need to be there for them because otherwise it's a very lonely place. Trouble. Yes. Uh, that's the thing about it is whenever you're in real trouble, you're, you feel very alone because you go, even people who feel bad for me, it doesn't matter. They can only feel bad for me from an intellectual stand of trying to imagine a similar scenario in their own life and sympathizing as much as possible. But there's yeah. no way for them to feel what I'm feeling right now. What I'm feeling is real and what they're feeling is a hypothetical theory. So they can only care so much. And yep. they certainly can't take any of my burden away. But I think we can combat that with genuine love. Yes, with genuine love. Yep. My brain goes, have, has, have you ever been genuinely loved in a moment where you really needed it? Hmm. Where you were, let's say, experiencing trouble and you were trying to be patient and somebody came along and actually did something or showed you love in a way that did help the situation. Yeah. So I would say that there have been times, um, in the last, you know, 13 years that I've really been down, you know, or I've just been stressed to the max or anxious or, um, there's been, I'm trying to think of a specific time, mm -hmm. but, um, in law school, um, there was a month long period every semester where it was just, you didn't have classes. It was just time to study for your exams. And one thing people may or may not know about law school is that your entire grade is dependent on a single exam that is, uh, it's probably a three or four hour written exam. And it is typically a competitive exam, which means that only a couple people can get A's and then a couple more can get A minuses and then a handful can get B pluses and then a, a larger group can get B's and then B minuses and, and on the way down. And so ultimately the people in your class, you're going up against these people. Mm -hmm. If, if you want an A in a class and there's only going to be, you know, three A's out of a class of 30 people, you need to beat out everyone else in the class except for two people at least. And, uh, and it is an extremely stressful time. And, and then you consider that you have to study for three or four classes that 
cover an enormous amount of case law, um, enormous amounts of law. And when you're doing this, it is just so much information that you're trying to memorize and you're trying to organize it in your mind in a way that you can at an instant, you can send it out, you can type it out and explain your answers uh, in a way that is compelling for uh, an argument. Hmm. And so this is such a hard time for, for everyone. Um, and it's built in a way that you really don't have any good allies because everyone is competing against each other. Now, I never handled it that way. I did form allies with um, my, my good friends, and we would study together. But at the end of the day, you're on your own, and you still have to compete with these people. But there were times where I would come home and I would have just spent 10 hours straight after work studying. And I would come home and I would say to my wife, Sarah, I would say, I just don't have it. Like, I'm not good enough to do this. There is nothing, I, you know, these people that I'm competing with, they are so much smarter than I am. They can recall things so much easier than I can. And, uh, and a lot of them, they're not even working. I'm, I'm working. I've got four, four, three or four kids, depending on what semester it was. You know, there was a time where Sarah was pregnant. Well, that and, makes it more impressive. Well, but I'm sitting there just so down on myself because I didn't think there was any way I could pull it off. And, uh, and Sarah was always there just being such an encouragement for me. And it was, it was a really tough time. Uh, and the, and so that's what comes to my mind. Those were really tough times where I was stressed out at work. I was stressed out by doing, uh, law school and preparing for exams. And, and it was like, I really needed encouragement from her and I needed to put my trust in God that that everything would work out. And by the grace of God, I was able to, I was able to pull it off. I mean, each semester I couldn't believe it, but I was able to pull it off. Each time I felt like I was pulling a rabbit out of a hat and I didn't feel like, I felt like I was faking it. I felt like, man, I'm not smart enough to handle this, but I made it through last semester. So let's see if I can do pull this off again. And it was all, it always felt that way. Well, you did it and you so. passed the bar exam on your first try, which a lot of people take that multiple times. Yeah. And that so. was, that was a, that was a trying time as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if that exactly gets into what you were really asking, but that's the closest I can think of in, in my past. Yeah. That's a perfect so. example. I was just trying to think of a time where you really where somebody doing something for you, genuinely loving you, was something that really was... You didn't even know you needed it until it happened. Gotcha. And, and let me put it this way. Sarah would have my clothes ready for me in the morning. She would let me sleep right up to the moment where I had to get out of bed, slide clothes on, 
and go out the door. Um, she would have me breakfast, lunch, a snack for after lunch, and dinner all packed in a box. And and she would send me out. And like I just got out of bed, put on clothes, and walked out the door. Um, and then I wouldn't see her until like 10 o'clock at night. Wow. So from like from like 6.30 to 10 at night, uh, she and then she always had me, you know, it was just a very supportive time for me, just in all the ways that she supported me. So that's awesome, man. You uh yeah. you gotta keep her. <laughs> that is true. Um, I remember a time when I had uh, went to the hospital, and for me, I never had any insurance. I worked for myself, and I went to the hospital, and I was really, really sick, um, as evidenced by the fact that I admitted myself into the hospital. And um, the church that I had only just become a part of uh, took up a collection. I had no idea. But they found out that I was in the hospital and my pastor and a couple of the people from the church came in and they said, hey, we took up a special collection. Mind you, the church only has about 40 people in it. We were a tiny church meeting in a cafeteria. So they took up a collection of this church that was made up of about five families. And they gave me 900 and something dollars. Wow. From like these five families that they just did as an addition to their collection. Hmm. So it was almost a thousand dollars, which to me, I'd been off work all week, which meant I wasn't getting paid. I just incurred these hospital bills that was going to be something I would have to pay off. And, you know, the regular things like my rent and everything like that's due. And I'm a problem solver. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm sitting in the hospital and this is just the way it goes. And it's, it's just a little bit of overwhelming situation. I'm, I'm really quite weak with the illness, haven't eaten or drank in five days and on top. But when they came in and they said, Hey, the whole church pooled together, all these people that you've just met yeah. for the last few months, here's a thousand bucks for you. <laughs> it was it was very, very, um, I, I felt so in, extremely blessed. And of, of course, I thank God for that too, because he's the one who led me into that church family. But it was that group of Christians who saw what where I was at. And even though I never told anybody, their intuition was, hey, we have somebody who's in need. And that gift was very, very special to my heart. Yeah. So... That's uh, great. That's what I, th- that's what I think of, for myself. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, they can hear this. I'm gonna... You should share that with them. <laughs> okay. I will. <laughs> I've I've moved away, a... and and you know we the church has gone through. The church is actually quite large now. Oh, great. Yeah, that church has moved across town, and they've got you know now several hundred um, members in a in a body of believers and. They're off to the off to the running. It's called uh, Alamo Ranch, and if okay. anybody's in uh, San Antonio, Alamo Ranch Church is where 
that would be my home church. I still kind of think of them as my home church. I peek into their services from time to time. Um, but the people there are still some of the, some of the dearest people to me, even though we've kind of lost touch a little bit over the last six or seven years. Yeah. But Hmm. I'll never forget them. That's a great story, Dave. I, thanks for sharing that. Cheers, man.